Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Every Christian should have read from Genesis to Revelation, only to read from Genesis to Revelation again and again and again. Why? Because the word's always the same and we're ever changing. When I read those books I'm so familiar with now, I'm like amazed at some of what I see because things jump out at me and speak to me and challenge me that I never saw in my earlier years walking with the Lord. Today we have part two of Pastor Sam's message, The Wise and the Wicked. We're in Mark chapter 12, and we're looking at the second half of this chapter, beginning in verse 24, so let's listen in. So many people in our community, in our state, in our country, around the world, who call themselves Christians, have all sorts of ideas and opinions that are absolutely unbiblical. Why? They don't know the scriptures, they don't know the power of God. And, and if you're ignorant of the scripture because you're new to Christianity, you're a new believer or not yet a believer, listen, every child is born ignorant and, and naive. They, they don't know anything and, and that's okay. And, and same thing is true spiritually. You might know a whole lot because you're a grown up person. But when it comes to the things of God, maybe you don't know anything. Maybe you grew up going to church, but it was a very formal church where they didn't read much of the Bible. Every Christian should be familiar with the scriptures. Every Christian should have read from Genesis to Revelation only to read from Genesis to Revelation again and again and again. Why? Because the word's always the same and we're ever changing. When I read those books I'm so familiar with now, I'm like amazed at some of what I see because things jump out at me and speak to me and challenge me that I never saw in my earlier years walking with the Lord. So all that to say, if you don't know the word, listen, you are the most privileged generation ever because you don't just have access in books. You have it on your phone, you have it on your computer, you have it on your tablet. You can take a walk and, and, and put it on Bluetooth and listen to the word of God read to you. If you're not a good reader, get a good Bible app and, let, and then, then use that. Have the word read to you daily. And, and, and so anyway, he says, here's your guy's problem. And again, ignorance made them foolish. Arrogance made them wicked. He says, you don't know the word of God, the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. And, and, and that could mean his creative power, sustaining power. I think it's a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit who makes the word come alive and, and empowers us not just to, to um, you know, find forgiveness for sin, convicting us, then comforting us, but, but giving us power over our sin. Well, Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. And the question he poses in verse 24, he answers in verse 27. But first he quotes them. They say, when they rise, he says, for when they rise, verse 25, from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Like means we will not be angels 
I remember hearing somebody years ago when I was very young in the Lord talking about how we're going to be angels in heaven. And I'm like, it doesn't say that. It says like angels. In what way? The angels don't marry. They're not given in marriage. So marriage is for this life. There will be a marriage in the afterlife. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the formal celebration of this reality that we, his church, are Jesus' bride, the bride of Christ. Well, concerning the dead that they rise, verse 26, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken. Did you notice it? Have you not read earlier? He said, have you not read in the scriptures? Here he says, have you not read in the book of Moses? Why? Because these guys reject the scriptures by and large, but they do accept Moses. And he's saying, hey, the part you think is right, God says, I'm not just the God of the, the dead. It's not really about that. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, his son, Jacob, his grandson, all still conscious, all still aware, all still alive, even though they had died physically. Well, one of the scribes comes next, and, and after these two challenges, and that's what they were, it's refreshing to have someone come who doesn't seem to have ulterior motives. It says, they came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving he had answered them well, he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? What's preeminent? What's the most important commandment? The primary, foremost commandment. And Jesus answered, him saying, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The scribes would quote this twice a day, in the morning and again in the evening. They'd go on to say, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. If you go back to that passage... Uh, in the Old Testament, you'll see he goes on to say, and you shall teach them to your children when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk on the way, along the way. So, so all of this is everyone knew it. Everyone memorized it. Everyone shared it. 613, by the way, um, commandments in, in the Old Testament. The scribes were meticulous in studying such things. They did it without computers. That's a lot of counting. 365 of them negative, one for every day of the week. Reminds me of Pollyanna. Where are the nice ones, the happy ones? 248 were positive. But of all those, this is the one. These are the two most important to the Lord. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. None of us would boast that we've always done that. Few of us would boast that we're even doing that right now. But this is the greatest commandment. This is, this is what we're aiming for. This is what God's seeking after, that we would make him first. Put him above all things and all others. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is so important. It led to another parable in another passage. 
and the parable of the Good Samaritan because the question was asked, well, who is my neighbor? And it turns out your neighbor is anyone and everyone who's in need. Well, our neighbors just uh, multiplied radically, exceedingly. And here's what I know for sure. No one here can meet everyone's needs, but everyone here can meet someone's needs. Not everyone here can even meet one person's, all their needs, but we can all meet some need. So, so the point is, I can't do all things, but I can do something for someone. And that's what God's calling us to. If you're walking with him and you're living for him, he is going to open your eyes and you're going to see opportunity. Last night, after a couple hundred people came and were fed here, there were, someone brought a hundred meals after the feeding. And so they're just boxed up and lined up with all these hot dogs and hamburgers and, and all this food. And when almost everyone was gone from church, some of the, the gals um, from one particular family who they're not sure if they lost their home or not. It's up in Megalia. They haven't been up, able to get up there and see. But big family. They went to Walmart and then all of a sudden the girls are teenagers. They came back and they said, can we have all that food? And, you know, people are looking at them like, you know, we know you're hungry, but this is 100 meals, right? They said, we want to take it all to Walmart and pass it out. How perfect is that? So here's two gals, young enough, they probably don't have a lot of personal resources, but they can drive and they can load boxes in their car and they can go to Walmart. And how many people were so excited to see them do something? And how great for them that they woke up this morning thinking, how, how awesome was that? And, and what did they do? They just asked, can we take this food? And we're like, hey, we don't want it. And, and what are we going to do with it? And so anyway, I know others got involved in that stuff. And a lot of you are already on the same page. But if we're going to love our neighbor as ourself, listen, James calls it the royal law. I love that. James 2.8. And the answer to who is my neighbor, it's whoever has a need. And James 2.9 says, if you show partiality, you commit sin or convicted by the law's transgressors. See, that's why when they said you're no respecter of persons, you, you don't care for one over another. You don't care for just that person. He cared for all people. He was an impartial and loving savior to all who would let him save. So the scribe says to him, well said, teacher, verse 32. You've spoken the truth, for there is one God. There is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart and the understanding and the soul and the strength and to love one neighbor, one's neighbor as oneself is more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Listen, the fact that he understood this meant the others should have. They could have, but for whatever reason, they weren't. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, how refreshing, right? Tested, tempted, tried, snared, snares laid. And now here's a guy who answers wisely. And it says, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Listen, you might have, like I was, been raised in uh, a Christian 
well, semi-Christian family in my case, but, you know, they took us to church, they dropped us off. I always wondered, where do they go? And so, but nevertheless, they took us to church and we heard the word and I learned it and I knew the stories and all that. Maybe you grew up that way too. My mom remarries after a horrible divorce and, and, and marries a guy that, that's in a whole different religious system. And I go through this training and teaching and all that. And after that, I just got stoned for 10 years because it didn't help me at all with the divorce or any of the other problems. Not blaming the church. I'm just saying I needed God's word and I needed God to get through all the things that I was enduring and you do too. That's the bottom line of this. And, and so, so all this to simply say that, that he may be saying to you today, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far. But if you haven't surrendered to Jesus, to the Lord and Savior, to our King of Kings, Man, do that today. So, so it won't be, you're not far, but you're in. Because it's something to be in Christ Jesus. Well, he answers as he's teaching in the temple, verse 35. How is it the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? He poses a little question for them. David himself said by the Holy Spirit, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Listen, the Lord said to my Lord, David's Lord is going to be Jesus, for he is Lord. Uh, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Where's Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and who were his enemies in this story at that time? Those religious leaders who were trying to trap him and ensnare him. Those in the past who had rejected him. Those in the future who would deny him. So sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How then is he his son? It sounds more complicated than it really is. All things were made by, through, and for Jesus. He is the creator of all. That means he created David. But in his incarnation, Jesus becomes one of us and he is in the lineage of David. So David is an ancestor, though he's David's creator. If it sounds complicated to you, it's not. Maybe you just need it drawn out. I'm real bad at that, but some of you can do it. Just, you know, write it out and lay it out Geneolo genealogically. Jesus is at the top because he's the creator of all things. David's down here. Then Jesus comes along. He is a descendant of David physically, though he is the creator of David spiritually and otherwise. Well, anyway, these guys didn't really know, but we do read something that's encouraging, and that is the common people heard him gladly. It was just the smart people that had problems, you know, those who thought they were so smart, those who thought they were so wise, thought they were keeping the law because they had a copy of it. it. That would be like us thinking, yeah, I obey everything in the Bible because I have one. But, but we know that's not the case. So they did, and we do today, hear him gladly. Well, he concludes with a warning and then a revelation of how God looks on 
what we're doing for him, what we're giving to him. And, and well, everything we do, you know, what motivates us to do all we do. Now, he says to those, then he said to them in his teaching, verse 38, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, the best places at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. I wonder if this was a bit of a stinger for James and John. Remember, they were after the positions of notoriety. They wanted prestige and, and they'd been promised that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, they would sit on 12 thrones not the two of them, they'd have their own, but the, the 12 would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Minus Judas, someone will be on that other throne. But, but here's the thing. These guys aren't satisfied that in the coming kingdom, when Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem on this earth, they're in the preeminent positions already. They're flanking him on either side. Six here and six here. But James and John want to be right next to Jesus. And if I understand this right, I'm pretty sure they would have been arguing over who got to be at the right hand if he said, okay, you can have the right and the left. Then it's going to be, okay, who's going to be, right? They're going to do something to say, I want that position. And I want to say, if you're after position, you're never going to be satisfied, no matter how high you climb on that ladder. Whatever it is that's not him will never satisfy you. Well, he says they, for a pretense, make long prayers. You could watch them publicly acting so spiritual, but in, in, in the privateness of their own houses, they're devouring widows' houses, and, and he says they're going to receive a greater condemnation. Important to know this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, that follows on the heels of, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. Hear that. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are not going to be condemned and you are not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God listen condemnation separation and there's no annihilation there is eternity aware and alert and, and apart from God or eternity aware and alert in the presence of God those are the only two options. And so he's saying, here's the condemnation. This is what condemns people. Not that God doesn't love them, not that Jesus didn't bleed and die for them, that the light has come into the world, but men loved the darkness more than the light. Neither would they come to the light lest their deeds be exposed as evil. The word for loved the darkness is the same word that's used for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. He demonstrates his love by, by sacrificing his beloved. 
Jesus, you know, demonstrates his love by laying down his life so we could live. And he's saying these guys love the darkness so much they're willing to forsake all the goodness, all the light, all the hope, all the life that God has for them so they can cling to the darkness. And so uh, he says, if you do the truth, though, you'll come to the light that your deeds may be clearly seen that they are done in God. Well, you know how God declares that a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day? It's like his calendar is so different than ours, you know? He's like, okay, day one. And then it's like, not in creation, by the way, those are literal days. But because the evening and the morning were the first day, don't want to confuse anyone about that. But, but he's saying, listen, when it comes to time, I'm timeless. And a day, thousand years, it makes no difference. Well, there's, there's a little thing he concludes with here. And we learned that his math is a lot different than ours as well. You know, when I was young, and that was a long time ago, it's clear, but uh, when I was young and in school, they had an experiment. It was called New Math. Any of you who are older remember that? It was an experiment. It turns out it didn't really work well. And I think the only people that ever really thought they understood it and implemented it are all in Congress today. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, the New Math... I like that two and two are always four, and one and one is always two, and every time you do it, it comes out the same. That just makes sense to my simple brain. Well, Jesus sat opposite the treasury, and, and this is our conclusion. He saw how people put money into the treasury. I like that. He saw how. Are there different ways people do it? You know, we just have boxes at the, the top of the ramp. And for good reason, if we did our offerings down here, as I've seen done someplace, people would be coming down and they'd be looking to see who's looking and they'd be trying to make sure that the check is, they can see how much that is. It just sets up a whole scenario for you to sin in a thing where you're supposed to be giving to God. It becomes something that's hypocrisy, a show, an act. So he sees how they were putting money in the treasury and many who put in, many who were rich put in much. Now, he has no problem with that. He's saying they had more, they put in more. But one poor widow came, threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said, Assuredly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. He's not saying she gave more than the rich people. She's saying, he's saying she gave more than all of those people. That's important. Why? Because they put in out of their abundance. And by the way, that's one reason we give. Everything we have comes from him. We want to give back to him. It's we're saying we acknowledge, Lord, you are the giver of all things. And, and so we give back our, our tithe. We give back our tenth. We give offerings to care for things and people and situations beyond that. But in all that, he says, some put in more, she put in more than all those who've given to the treasury, for they put out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. It's like he saw how they gave, he saw how much they gave, and he said, Here's, she gave more than all because she wasn't worried about what would happen to her next? She just gave what she had, trusting that what she had came from him. 
and he would give whatever she needed. In 1 Peter 3.14, we are told to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that's in us. Think about this. Sanctifying the Lord God in our hearts simply means giving our wholehearted allegiance to Jesus Christ and worshiping him only despite the cost. And giving a defense to anyone who asks why we have hope in Christ? Well, that's just about the most powerful way that we can share the gospel with another person. Our ability to do these things is directly related to how well we know the scriptures and the power of God. And not knowing the scriptures and the power of God is exactly what Jesus said was the issue with the Sadducees and the reason why they were mistaken. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.